Lord, for your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you for a day that we've been able to celebrate you, to lift up the name of Christ, which is above every other name. And so, Father, we tonight rejoice in the reality, the guarantee that one day you will come again. And Lord, maybe you'll bring us home to you. We might see you first, Lord, as we leave this place and are joined together with you. Or Lord, maybe we'll see you return and you'll draw us home, Lord. And so, Father, we are just so thankful that you are a God that is working a plan and his purpose, that everything that's happening right now is according to your will. And we're so thankful for the reality of our Father who is in control of all things. And so we worship you as that God tonight. And we look forward with great anticipation for your return. And so, Lord, we ask that tonight as we worship you, that our hearts and our minds would be in tune with what you have for us. Open up your word to us. Be with the children's music practice down the hallway there, Lord. Help them to just learn much and to continue to grow in, uh, in all their preparation and memorization and all of that, Lord. Just help them in that. And thank you for our leaders and volunteers that are working with them. And, Lord, again, we just thank you for everything that you're doing. And uh, just give us a great rest of tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. And all of our musical art, or, uh, actors and actresses, you guys can be dismissed. You guys can be dismissed down to class there, down to group, yeah. Performers, entertainers. Whoa, that was really close. All right. As they're all moving on down there. Well, everyone wants to get seated. So tonight, we are in the second week of our passage from last week. And so we are in Acts 12. And so if you were here last week, you have a handout, you're good to go. Okay, it's not a new passage. It's the one we started last week. If you were not here last week, then I'll need to give you one of these. And so is there anyone that was not here last week that needs one and or... You have no idea where yours is from last week. That also counts. What's that? The dog ate it. The dog ate it. I like that. Anyone else? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you need it, can you hand us back to Andy, please? Does anyone? Oh, sorry. Does anyone need a clipboard? Some, <laughs> Clipboards, pens. We have pens because he's a teacher. He's smart like that. All right. So we'll let those get handed out there. So if you need a clipboard or a pen. What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I handed somebody. Oh, okay. (laughs) No excuses. All right. So what we'll do is, um, because we have some that were not with us last week, want to give you some time to look through the passage. Oh, okay. So what we'll do is we'll give you just a, a few moments, as we normally do. So Acts 12, um, again, we're jumping right into the middle of a book. So if you were doing a Bible study through the book of Acts, or if you were reading through the book of Acts, obviously you would come to Acts chapter 12 with a lot of information between 1 and 11, obviously. 
And so uh, Acts 12, we're going to be diving into uh, kind of a famous story. This is the story of Peter's imprisonment, but also uh, the martyrdom of the first disciple. So the martyrdom of the first disciple. So uh, what I want to do is, when we're picking up actually those that were with us last week, we got through the first five verses. So you really, we kind of will work through six through the rest of the passage, six through 12 in just a few moments. But I want to give you guys some time that weren't with us to make some observations, to kind of read through the text, start to kind of get a feel for the text. And so, uh, again, we'll give you probably about 10 minutes to do that. Um, and in case I forget to say this at the end, because that's just how my brain works, um, when we finish, we'll be done probably about 7 o'clock, maybe a little bit before. When we're done, if you have a child in the musical, you can actually go down there and get them because the remaining 10 or 15 minutes that they're going to have is going to be for anyone that needs to audition for a speaking role. So anyone that couldn't do it today, this morning, is going to be doing that tonight. So if you have a child down there that needs to audition, you can hang out down there or whatever. They're still going to do their thing So 7.15. If you have a child that's not auditioning, has already done that or not doing that, and we finish at 7, we would encourage you to head on down there and pick them up. All right? So they're going to be done at 7, auditioners at 7.15. So saying that, I'm going to give you about 10 minutes Go ahead and work through the text, make some observations, names, places, locations, um, how you see the text breaking apart. Group some texts together. If you have other passages that come to mind, note those um, and just kind of work through the text that way. I'll give you about 10 minutes and then we'll break it apart.
We'll go ahead and uh, jump into the text. And I I just want to give a little reminder again. Um, When you guys are doing this together like this, um, I hope this is encouraging you to think about your own personal devotional life, to think about um, 10 minutes. I mean, I know sometimes it can feel like a long time, but it's really not. And so maybe some of you are realizing as you're going through the text, you're like, wow, I didn't get as far as I wanted to, or man, there was a lot in there. And so what I would encourage is, um, and just spending time with the Lord every single day um, is, is not hard. And so that's one of the reasons why I want to do this together so that we can learn that we can do this on our own too. We don't have to come to church to be able to do this, but it's always amazing when we can do this as the church. So I hope this is not just something you look forward to or you enjoy doing at church. I hope this is translating into your own personal devotional life, that you're finding yourself spending time in God's word like this daily. So uh, jumping into the text, again, we, we kind of already did the first five verses, and I know there's a lot there. And if you weren't with us, um, I, I believe it's been recorded, so it should be online. But um, the way we broke the passage up would be verses one through four. It's kind of one section. Verse five kind of stands on its own. Verses six through 11, and then verse 12. So it's kind of the way we broke the passage up as we were looking at it starting last week. There's a lot in the first four verses. Um, We see here one of the big things is uh, James is martyred. And which, if you were with us last week or you just know the answer to this question, which James is this? There's a few different Jameses. Jameses? 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 In the Bible, in the New Testament. Which James is this? Yeah, Anthony. Yes, this is James, the brother of John, or the sons of Zebedee right? The sons of thunder. So this is the apostle James that came to faith or came to following Christ, at least as a result of John going and getting his brother. So we see that taking place right there. Anthony, is your pen dying? Oh, okay. Um, you're just shaking it with quite force. I thought maybe you needed a new pen. Um, so we see this happening here. Now, again, there's other James that we read about in the Bible. There's James, the half brother of Jesus. And we know that he is the one who actually wrote the epistle of James. He also is the one in Acts 15. You read about James. He's kind of the the pastoral figure at the church of Jerusalem. And so there's also one of the other apostles that's known as James the Less. And what does that mean that he was called James the Less? What do we think that means? He was younger, right? Less meaning years, not stature or not ability, but meaning years. And so we see that happening here. And this James, the son of Zebedee, brother of John, was martyred by Herod. And we dove all into what Herod this was, which Herod this was, and all of that. We won't rehatch that, but just know that this is a person in authority. What happened as a result of that killing of James? Like, how did the people respond? 
Okay, it says it pleased the Jews. And so Herod, being a good politician, decided what? Well, if that made him happy, if I go get Peter and put him in prison and kill him, that'll even make them happier. So that's going to be better for me. So because of that, he went and he got Peter, put him in prison. However, why did he not kill Peter instantly? Yeah. What was that, John? Unleavened bread. Yep. So the time of Passover. So he's again trying to please the Jews. And so he's going to wait and then kill Peter after. Okay. So again, he's doing all of this for political power, for just influence, right? Trying to keep everyone happy because if he makes the Jews unhappy and they report back to Rome that he's not doing a good job, then he's in trouble with, with the emperor. Okay. So there's a lot of political things going on here. Who did we compare this to or what story did we compare this to earlier in the New Testament? Yeah, Pontius Pilate, right? Why did he wash his hands of, even though he said multiple times, I find no fault in the man, I find no fault in the man. Here, I beat him, but I find no fault in him. Why did he do that? For political reasons. He was trying to keep the people happy. He was trying to walk that line, okay? Washes his hands of it because he doesn't want to be attached to it because he doesn't want to get in trouble for it. So here, Herod arrests Peter, puts him in prison, is holding him over until the time of Passover being done so he can kill him. And then we talked about the fact that there was these soldiers, most likely four groups of four. Those are squads of soldiers, and there had been two with Peter and two outside the prison cell, if you will. And so, again, they were there to watch through the whole night. So these 16 men took shifts and watched these soldiers. Usually somebody of great importance is being guarded. They don't want him to get away. That also means they don't want people coming in and taking him away and, and getting away with him. Okay? So again, this is something hugely important. So we talked about what was leading up to verse 5. What happens in verse 5? How does the church respond to Peter's imprisonment? Yes, they're praying, they're interceding, which just means to pray on someone's or behalf or pray for someone. Okay, But I want you to understand what we talked about last week. I really think the reason this prayer is the response to Peter's imprisonment is because prayer was already a natural habit for the church. I, I, don't, I don't read, again, when you read Acts 1 through 12, you don't get the sense the church was not really actively praying, and then Peter gets arrested, and they go, oh man, we should pray about this. It seems as though this was a habit of the early church, right, to pray. Now, verse 5 says that famous line, Prayer was made without ceasing of the church. Now, what does that remind us of? We talked about this. It takes us back to 1 Thessalonians 5.17, right? Pray without ceasing. That's a, an encouragement of Paul to the church. Why? Because he's reminding them this is what the church does. This is how the church handles things. We pray without ceasing. Now, I said without ceasing can mean a couple things. What do we, what do we usually think without ceasing means? What do most people think when they hear without ceasing? What's that? It doesn't stop. It's continuous. Okay. Some people even think that means I have to sit hands folded, eyes closed, right? Like that's what it's, that's what comes to mind. Nothing wrong with praying that way. And there's nothing wrong with long, continuous times of prayer, especially for specific things like this. Peter's in prison. We need to pray for that. Pray for his release or pray for our strength or whatever they were praying specifically for. We don't know exactly. We just know that they were praying without ceasing. I don't know that they were praying for Peter's deliverance. It doesn't say that. I would, I would guess they were. Um, I don't know that they were praying, Lord, help us to be strong when persecution comes to our door. But again, based on the rest of the New Testament, 
I, I believe we're safe to make that assumption. But they're praying and they're continuing to pray. What else could, without ceasing, imply or speak to in the, in the style of prayer? We gave you something else last week. Another way to look at this phrase, without ceasing. Okay. 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 So it's just, again, it's a, it's a continuing habitual relationship, right? It's communicating with the father because we have a relationship with him. So we just talk to him through the course of our day. Okay. What else did we talk about in regards to without ceasing? Yeah. Avi. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so that without ceasing can mean unrelenting. It can mean fervent, right? It's also considered in scripture effectual, meaning it has an effect. Okay. There's a, there's a passion. There's a, a zeal to this prayer. And if I can use it this way, many of us pray before we eat our meals. Great habit. I encourage it. If you don't do it, do it, practice it. When you go to family events, Pray with your, I don't, it doesn't matter. Well, they're not Christian. That's okay. You set the tone. You pray. Hey, can we pray before we eat? Or if they don't want to, then you and your immediate family take a time and you pray. Because here's what's going to happen. You know how many conversations can come out of that? Man, why do you guys do that? Why do you guys pray before you eat? What's the big deal? Man, we want to give thanks to God for everything he does and gives to us because he's so loving and gracious and good. And boom, you're in a conversation about the gospel. Also, by the way, Jesus sets the example of praying before we eat, right? He looked to heaven, thanked God, and he broke the bread. Okay, this is the habit we see Jesus doing. So I encourage you, before you eat, get in the habit of prayer. But what kind of prayers usually are pre-meal prayers? Pretty quick, depending on especially how good the food is you're going to eat. Right? Have you ever been in a situation where you're at a table and you, you put your head down and the food's right there and you're just smelling it? And somebody wants to pray for like every missionary the church supports and they're calling down fire from heaven for all the children all over the world that need God. And you're just like, mmm, these tacos smell so good right now. Like, like you're, not, you're not in the spirit right there, right? You're, you're very much in the flesh. Like, can I just stuff my face? Most of the time, those kind of prayers are quick prayers. And, and it doesn't mean they don't have intent and meaning. Just because it's short doesn't mean it's not powerful. Lord, we thank you for this food. And we mean that. But that's not the kind of praying we see here. The fervent prayer is that there doesn't have to be tears. There may be tears. There may be strong emotion, but maybe not. It's just this this fervency, this, this effectual praying for God to do something that only God can do because you don't know how else it's going to happen. And you're just like, God, we need you. So there's time involved. These are those... 2 a.m., 3 a.m., you wake up and God lays someone on your heart and you start praying and start praying for them. And maybe that's not happened to you very often. That's okay. If you're like, well, it's only happened a couple times in my life. That's fine. But those are the kinds of prayers that will fall under this category as well. It's that fervent prayer. It's not those, what we might call like popcorn prayers. Just quick prayers that we're praying through the day. These are deeply intense times of prayer. And the church is doing this for Peter. Now, I also think maybe they were praying, Lord, when Peter is killed, let him die in faith. Let him finish his race. Let him run the course until the last breath. Let him be like James who died in the faith. Maybe they were already saying, Lord, we're not going to presume your will that you're going to deliver him. By the way, God didn't deliver James. 
God didn't deliver John the Baptist. Jesus was right there on planet earth, could have thought the thought, and John sat free. But he was martyred. James is martyred. Other disciples are martyred. Peter ends up being martyred. And so I don't know the church was praying, Lord, release him. It may be, Lord, help him to die well. Help us to die well. And so again, this is where I think sometimes when I, I heard a pastor say one time, he was talking to somebody that was from a persecuted region. And he said, he told that person, man, we're really praying for you guys, for the persecuted church. We're praying for God to deliver you. And he actually said to this preacher, I don't remember where this was. It was some interview. And this guy said that to him, he said, don't pray for our deliverance. Pray for our endurance. Pray that even though persecution's there, we'll press on. And then he said this, but we're actually praying for the American church. That you guys would be effective and active and, and wake from the slumber that we see taking place. This was years ago. So again, isn't it amazing? We think in America, oh, we got we to gotta pray, for, and we should pray for the persecuted church. We're going to do that in November, that first Sunday of November. We're taking up the whole time in the morning service to pray for the persecuted church. But don't think we've got it all figured out. We've got to pray for them because they need us. No, no, no. We need to learn from them to die well, to live for Christ. So here we see that taking place. What an amazing moment. We're going to dive into the fact that this, in just a moment, a physical gathering of believers praying, which is really important to note. But let's look at verses 6 through 11 as we continue through the text. So can I get a volunteer, actually? We'll do that. Maybe that'll read those verses 6 through 11 for us. And I always feel bad doing this after you've written all over the paper. Because if you're like me, you're like, I can't read half the words because I've scribbled all over it. I don't know what it says. But verses 6 through 11, who'd like to read that for us? David, awesome, thank you. Thank you, sir. So in verses 6 through 11, we see the deliverance of Peter by the Lord. And that's the key. He was delivered by the Lord, not of his own doing. This is all a work of God. The first thing we must note is the phrase, in the same night. Do you guys catch that? And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping. So what does that tell us? God is never late. Right? God is never late. He's always exactly on time. Whenever he needs to do it, he will do it. Do we believe that? Sometimes. Sometimes we think he's late. Sometimes we think he's early. What did Mary and Martha think at the funeral of their brother? You're too late. If you'd have been here days ago, he wouldn't even be in there. And how did Jesus respond? Well, he wept with them. 
He showed emotion and compassion. And by the way, again, I have to note this. Jesus is the greatest example of a man we'll ever see. So if Jesus wept at a funeral, guess what every man in Christ can express? Emotion. Nothing wrong with that. He was the greatest example of a man. So he weeps with them. But then what does he do? He calls them to a spiritual truth. Well, don't you believe? There's, there, and he, she says what? I believe in the resurrection, the future resurrection. What does Jesus say? I'm the resurrection. Do you believe? And so again, he calls her to deeper faith, but yet he doesn't, he doesn't do so callous and harsh and hard-hearted. He does it in love. He, he weeps and he spends time with her, but then he also uses it as a way to draw her into deeper faith. As we talked about this morning with Peter, as he started sinking into the water, the Lord saved him first, then called him to deeper faith. It wasn't the other way around. And so here we see Peter is rescued the exact moment he needs to be rescued. Not too late and not too early. So we can believe that God is always right on time, even though it's hard when we see our prayers not getting answered the way we want or maybe when we want. So Peter here, we see that he is rescued the same night. What else is interesting about verse 6 to you about Peter's disposition about his situation. Okay. He was sound asleep. What's going to happen the next morning? He's going to die. But do you notice that Peter is sleeping? And I, I truly, I put this in my notes here because this really kind of encouraged me. Peter has grown so much in the Lord that he is not pacing his cell. He is not frantically walking back and forth, fearful of what lies ahead. Earlier in Peter's life, he violently lashed out in the garden to stop Jesus from being arrested. And he cut off a servant's ear. I think he was going for his head and he just missed. And he just got his ear. So he's fearful for Jesus. So he lashes out to stop this from happening. He denies Christ three times by a fire in front of a teenage girl the night that Jesus was arrested. And this is the Peter that now is sleeping comfortably. He's not frantic. He's not panicked. He's grown so much in the Lord and the spirit of God has grown him so much that now he's trusting in God's will. Even if it means the next morning, he's going to die. Now also note here, and you can write this in your outline or in your notes there. Um, what I did was between verses four and five, when it says in prison in verse four, in prison in verse five, right between there, you can jot down. This is actually the second time, many of you know this, that Peter is imprisoned. Reference there would be Acts 5, 17 through 20. Acts 5, 17 through 20. And so this is the second imprisonment that Peter is enduring. Peter seems content this time around. To die for Christ. Do you notice that maybe he's actually grown to a point where what he told Jesus back in the Gospels, now he's willing to do? See, at the fire with the teenage girl, he wasn't there yet. He wasn't ready to be crucified with Jesus. He was fearful. So he said, I don't even know that guy. Now he's getting ready to die. I, again, I don't know this because Scripture doesn't spell this out for us. But I almost wonder, did Peter fall asleep? actually joyful that he was going to be able to fulfill the promise he made to Christ. When he said, no, I'll die with you. And he looks back and he missed it at the fire, right? He missed it there. Maybe when he was released in prison the last time, he was like, okay, I guess, I guess this isn't going to happen this time. And now maybe time, days have gone by. God hasn't delivered him yet. He's still sitting there day after day. And he goes, 
you know what, Lord, maybe this is it, and I'll get to be with you. I think of Paul. What does Paul say to Timothy? I've run my race. I've finished my course. I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering, knowing he was going to be beheaded as a Roman citizen. And he says, it's an offering. I look full. He was excited in a sense. I don't think he was excited to be beheaded. But I sense in 2 Timothy, there was a joy to say, I get to be with Jesus. Remember he said earlier in the Philippians, to the Philippians? I want to be with Jesus, but I need to be here. 2 Timothy, he's saying, I get to be with Jesus. I don't have to be here anymore. I don't know if that's how you read that, but that's what jumps out to me. Peter's sleeping soundly to the point where we're going to talk about in a minute. He had to be kind of startled awake which we'll talk about that in just a, just a moment. So Peter, again, seems content to die for Christ as he said he would, and yet God has a plan. Peter will fulfill that promise, but not yet. This also reminds me, you can jot down there where it talks about that he was sleeping there. I jotted the verse Mark 4, 38 through 40. Mark 4, 38 through 40. Can I get a, a volunteer that'd like to turn there real quick? It's just a a passage that came to my mind, Mark 4, 38 through 40. When somebody has it, hold your Bible up. No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing the sword drill. I don't have any candy anyway. I'm out of Tootsie Rolls or Jolly Ranchers or whatever. I don't know. What do you give the kids now? Whatever candy you have on hand probably. Yeah, they're not picky. Oh, I, I love sword drills. I always got candy. We did that in youth group. Thank you, Julie, for bringing us back to the text. I appreciate that. Mark 4, 38 through 40. All right. Thank you, ma'am. So what is, what is Jesus's response to the storm in Mark four? What's Jesus doing in the midst of the storm? He's sleeping. So that means when bad things come, take a nap. That's what we learned from Jesus. Take naps because Jesus took naps. It's all good. But he awakes from the storm to find the disciples in what situation? How do the disciples respond to the storm? Don't you realize? Don't you care? We're going to die. Who's in the boat in the group of disciples? Peter. So Jesus wakes up, rebukes the storm, calms the seas, looks at the disciples and says what? Why did you doubt? Where's your faith? What does he say to Peter when he pulls him out of the water in Matthew 14? Where's your faith? Why did you doubt? So isn't it amazing that Peter seemingly learned from Christ that the peace we have in Christ cannot be taken away. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, again, he does everything for a reason. And Jesus demonstrated, you don't need to fear, I'm in control. And so Peter learned that lesson practically in the boat with Jesus. So again, we see here that the first thing we note is that Peter's growth in the Lord. He has grown tremendously. And this is amazing, and this is encouraging Because Jesus didn't start using Peter when he grew to a certain degree. Is this the same Peter from Acts 2? Yes and no. That Peter had to go through a little bit of a learning experience, right? Acts 10 had to deal with some prejudice. So again, isn't it amazing that God can use us not when we grow to a certain 
maturity level or a certain degree, or we have this much theological knowledge. And now we've kind of broken the threshold. Okay, now I can use you because you understand these 16 different end times views. No, he says, as soon as you surrender in Christ, you're usable. And it's in the use of us that he grows us. And I've always said this, when I was in college working in Sunday school classes and junior church classes, and I worked with third graders and different elementary age kids. I did Word of Life here at the church when I was in youth group. Just love serving the kids, different age groups. All of that was to train and grow up and mature me so that I could do what God called me to do later. He does the same thing in your life. But we don't sit back and go, I can't serve. I'm not there yet. No, in the serving, we grow. And that's why I've always said, yes, it is 100% true. A Christian does not have to go to church to be saved. But I do not believe, and I've not seen it in scripture or practically, where a Christian who neglects the gathering of the local church and neglects serving the local church grows the same degree as the one connected, plugged in, and serving. It's just, it's just evident, not only practically, but in scripture as well. Let's, let's continue on. The next thing we notice is an angel appears. So this angel is a messenger of the Lord. He comes to Peter and he wakes him. Now in verse 7, it uses the word smote, that it's, he smote Peter on the side, which if you just want to say that to your friends or to your children, if you don't knock it off, I'm going to smite you or smote you. Go for it. Have fun with it. Um, but that word, what do we think of? We think of a, like, a, like a hard hit, right? Like a strike or a punch. It actually could be translated here a nudge. It's another way to translate this word, a nudge. It does not necessarily mean a hard knock or blow, like not a hard strike. However, I do believe this would probably be a very effective alarm clock. This would probably work very well. So in verse 7, it also says that the chains, quote, fell, fell off from his hands. So what does that tell us about this deliverance? Again, it's all of the Lord. He just woke up and the chains fell off. It was an act of God, not an act of Peter. As the angel is leading Peter out, he is unsure if this is real. Peter even says to himself, is this a vision? Am I really experiencing this? What's happening here? The angel said to Peter, follow me. And he would be led out of the prison. Do you notice that? I don't know why. Maybe I just dwelled on this a little bit too long. But I was thinking about that when I, when I was reading through and I circled that follow me. And I thought, his chains are already off. He can get up and walk out anytime he wants. And the angel says, hey, now that your chains are off, follow me. And yet Peter could have chose to sit there. Do you ever think about this? I don't know. Maybe it's just it's me. I'm just weird like this. But I think about that. Like he could have been like, no, I'm good. I'm just going to stay here. Well, yeah, yeah. He's just, I'm, just, I'm good. And another thing came to mind was in Christ. What's our call in Christ as followers of Christ to follow him, follow me? And I started thinking, to me, in Christ, we are led out of every prison and bondage and stronghold, even those of our own making. Like, like we are led out by Christ and through Christ out of every one of those things. Or will we choose to stay in the prison cell? Chains are off. Doors wide open. We can walk out anytime we want. But so many of us, myself included at times, will sit right down. And we'll stay. We, we, we want to be in the cell. We want to be in that imprisonment because maybe we can use it as an excuse and play the victim or, or whatever it might be. But I love this moment where the angel gives Peter the option. Hey, 
follow me. The deliverances of the Lord, but I'm asking you to follow me. I've already set you free, but would you follow me? And I can't help but think about the call of Christ on our lives. Set free, eternal life, given life, given the spirit, all that we need. And yet he invites us, hey, why don't you follow me? Would you come and watch me work through you? And so I, I love that moment. I, I couldn't help but circle that and kind of, kind of jot that off to the side. The next thing we notice is the angel and Peter move through the guards. What are the, how are the guards responding to this? What are the guards doing as they're moving through the cell, out to the outer cell, out to the outer kind of courtroom, out the gate? Okay, so they're not doing anything, right? Now notice it says Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Do you think these soldiers were sleeping? Not if they value their life. And we're going to talk about in a second here the, the consequence of this. Remember, these guys, these are four soldiers in a team of 16, and they're each given one watch of the night to guard the prisoner. So they took shifts, so they shouldn't be sleeping. So when I was reading through here, I was like, this is amazing. And another passage that came to mind, and you can jot it down there. Luke chapter 4, verses 28 through 30. Luke chapter 4, verses 28 through 30. This is a story of Jesus moving through the crowd, and they did not notice him. They were going to push him off the cliff. You remember the story? And when they got, where'd he go? They couldn't find him, and he just moved through the crowd unaware. So I, I'm, the scripture doesn't tell us specifically, but, but I believe God can move through the crowd that way. And I believe these prison guards were unaware of what was going on. Now, I don't know how they responded the next morning when they had to give a report of this. I know how Herod responds. The Bible tells us that. But in this moment, I love that, that God is doing this amazing work of leading him out. Peter realized what happened in verse 11. And what's his response? He praised God for rescuing him and delivering him from the desire of the Jews, which was what? To have him killed. So we see this moment here. All right. Verse 12. And we'll move through this quickly um, so we can still get down to what Renee needs. Verse 12. And when he considered the thing... So he's, Peter's dwelling on this, this deliverance. He says, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So here we see in verse 12, the gathering of the church. So Peter gets out of prison after being there for days. What's the first thing he decides to do? Go to church, right? The first thing, not go home and take a shower, not get something to eat. He just dwells on this deliverance. And he rushes to the church. He goes to the church. He knew the believers would be there. That's, that's an amazing point to me. I hope you don't miss that. This again tells me this was not an uncommon thing for the church to do. Otherwise, why would he assume they're there? Maybe they communicated, we're praying for you through a, a messenger of some kind. But either way, I, I tend to believe he knew they were there. Now, the correlation is really simple. When he knew it was God that delivered him, he wanted to worship God with others who have been delivered. We know that it is God that delivers us. So what is our desire? To gather with those who have been delivered and worship God and praise God and rejoice in him. So where was the church meeting? The passage tells us where. In whose house were they meeting? 
the house of Mary. And this Mary, now again, another very, very common name in the New Testament, in the culture. The mother of, or Mary was the mother of who? John. Okay, so now we know another indicator. And what was John's surname or another name he went by? Mark. So we know a John Mark from Scripture. And so this Mary is the mother of John Mark. So again, why does Luke, the author of Acts, do this for us? Why does he give us this description? Because Mary was such a common name, Luke, remember all the way back in Luke chapter 1, what's the point of this? To give a historical account of all the things that Jesus did through the church, through the apostles. So Luke gives us a very clear description of which Mary we're talking about. This is Mary, the mother of John Mark. So again, now we're putting it in a category. We know exactly anyone of this culture in this time could go and find this house is what he is saying. So here, as this is happening, we see here that this Mary is the mother of John Mark, who we know as Mark, the author of the gospel of Mark. This also John Mark ministered with who? Paul and Barnabas. Okay. We know that there was a little bit of a division between Paul and Mark. What caused that division? What were they arguing about? Actually, it was between Barnabas and Paul about John Mark. Uh, close. Sort of, yeah, yeah. So John Mark apparently went with Barnabas and Paul on their first mission trip. Somewhere in the early part of this trip, he bailed, went back home. The second missionary trip, Barnabas says, hey, we should go get John Mark, bring him along as encouragement and strengthen him and allow God to use him. What does Paul say? No, he'll quit again. Isn't it amazing? Paul, the one that nobody would stand with just a little before, a little while before this, not one Christian would believe Paul's conversion except for Barnabas. Barnabas stood and said, I believe God is working in him, backed him and praised what God was doing. And okay, well, Barnabas is for him. Now Barnabas says, let's go do that for John Mark. And Paul says, no. Isn't it amazing how if we're not careful, we forget how much grace we were really given. God can't use them. If he's using you, he can use anybody. Let's not get too high on our horse to think that we're so much better than that person because of any reason. So that happens. Well, Paul and Barnabas decide, you know what? And they actually handled it seemingly well. I mean, this was great. Like, you almost know they're not Baptists for this reason because they divided on good terms. But so they decided we're going we're gonna to minister in different areas. Barnabas took John Mark and went to Cyprus, which was his hometown. Barnabas and John Mark are actually cousins. So Barnabas is, going, again, taking him kind of to a comfortable Good area from the servant. Paul and Silas now continue on their missionary endeavors. And later on, Paul actually says, John Mark is, is good for the ministry. He's a benefit to me in the ministry. So at some point in the future, Paul realized he was actually in the wrong. Again, greatest missionary, wrong. Agrees that John Mark is actually valuable and they are reunited. But here we see this amazing home of John Mark's mother. Now, Tradition holds that this home is also where the Last Supper was held and where the disciples gathered before the day of Pentecost. So this tradition holds. Now, again, Scripture doesn't definitively tell us this, but tradition, church tradition says that this home is where they gathered for the Last Supper and where they were kind of spending time before the day of Pentecost. When it talks about they were in the upper room, some believe this to be at the home of Mary. Now, again, 
When you read all of this, that's pretty powerful stuff to know that Mary was so impactful to the church, so desiring to serve the Lord that she opened her home to the early church and look at how God used her. I mean, we don't think of Mary, the mother of John Mark, as being some great figure in church history, but yet this is where they prayed before the day of Pentecost. This is where potentially Jesus had his Last Supper with the disciples. This is where the early church with men like John, Mark, and Peter are gathering together and worshiping and praising God. Now, when Herod learns of this escape from prison, and I'll go through this quickly. It's 7 o'clock. We need to finish up. But uh, in verses 18 through 19 of Acts 12, you can read it for yourself. Herod hears what happens. He actually has the guards killed because they allowed him to escape. So again, I don't think they were sleeping. Following this event, we also read in Acts 12 that Herod himself was recognized by the people as a God. He did not reject that. And so God punished Herod and struck him down. Now, the way the text reads, it almost sounds like he struck him down instantly. Most believe that this doesn't mean he died in that moment, but that they believe he started to die in that moment. And tradition says after about five days of agonizing pain and discomfort, he died from parasites or the King James says worms, so parasites. So again, you see how God, we would look at this and go, man, what is God doing? He's working in all of it. And he brings about appropriate judgment and consequence for those involved. This passage really leads us to one conclusion, to worship. God is accomplishing his plans and purpose and nothing, not even a powerful king can stop him. When we are discouraged or feel imprisoned by our past, our inability or a sin issue, We need to pray for deliverance, but we also can realize the chains have already fallen off in Christ. There is nothing that needs to take place other than our surrender. We merely need to follow him out of the cell because we were unable to save ourselves. He came to us and said, arise, wake up. And he called us from the tomb, just as he called Lazarus. He said, wake up, come alive, come out of there. So this will and should lead us to gathering to worship as the church with others who have been delivered. Let's, uh, we'll pray. Now, again, as I said before, you'll get the kids down there or get the kids that are done with everything. Those auditioning would hang out a little bit. You're free to fellowship as long as you'd like to hang out a little bit more, but let's pray and we'll let you be dismissed. Father, we thank you for this passage, for this amazing truth that we find in your word. Thank you that has delivered individuals who have been given new life surely by grace redeemed and and blessed lord with the forgiveness of sins not because of what we've done but because of what you've done for us we gather with others who have been redeemed who have been delivered and we equally praise you for your grace we rejoice in the goodness of our god and we know that we did nothing to take the chains off you break every chain you set us free but lord so many times we sit ourselves down right back in that cell when we can just as easily get up and follow you out. So help us to be followers of Christ this week. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for this church. Thank you for a place that we can gather to worship and to pray. I pray that we would see it as vital and needful in our Christian walk. Thank you for this example of the local church impacting in a huge way what you were doing. No named people that will never really know who was all in that group, but they prayed and they were faithful and fervent, and you glorified your name through that church. Father, thank you for all of this. Give us a great rest of tonight and a great week ahead. Bring us back on Wednesday, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.